Freethinkers, welcome back to the Free Thought Project podcast. My name is Jason Bassler, and today we have a special impromptu episode for you guys. Matt is out today because of the Thanksgiving holiday, but after we had such a great conversation last week with our guest, Jack V. Lloyd, I asked him to join me today as we talk to another past guest of the show, the great Maj Ture. Now, for a little context, our previously scheduled guest for this week canceled which happened to coincide with Maj reaching out to me yesterday, asking for a little help amplifying a post that he made talking about his recent gun charge. Now, Maj has been uh, extremely supportive of our operation over the years. In fact, I believe with today's episode, he's been on the show more times than any other guest. And I wanted to return that favor and provide a platform for Maj to share his grievances and explain the charges that he's up against And another reason now why I actually asked Jack to come on the show is because he is a bar certified lawyer in his home state of Florida, and his knowledge regarding this case will likely be of value uh, during this discussion. It certainly knows a lot about case law regarding firearms, so it should be uh, quite an interesting discussion. Now, where I'm not really sure where this conversation is going to go, but I believe it's absolutely important that we support each other when our back is up against the wall by these state actors. Uh, Because oftentimes, I'm sure you guys know, they don't follow their own laws. They don't play by their own rules. uh, They don't have any incentive to be fair or just. So with that said, let's go ahead and get into it. Welcome back to the show, Maj. How you doing, brother? I'm wonderful, man. Thank you all for having me. Good vibes, good energy, and positive manifestations everybody's way. That's right. Yes, exactly, man. And um, now I know, I know we're going to be getting into your case here. I know that you were arrested during a live stream episode with Tom Woods in June of this year. But I think for many of us, that's kind of the extent of what we know about your case. So, can you maybe give our audience some background into your recent gun charge and what you're likely up against? Yeah, I am a obviously for the people that don't know, my name's Maj. I'm the founder of Black Guns Matter. A basic firearm safety and training organization. We do work in communities all around the country and that need to be brought into the Second Amendment conversation. Um, I am a Second Amendment absolutist. I know that some people like (laughs) people say they're a free speech absolutist and then they're like, well, except for the people I don't like um, or except under these conditions. I am a Second Amendment absolutist. I believe that um, the Constitution and the Second Amendment is very, very clear especially the second half of it. Um, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. And so because of that, um, I don't I don't believe in licensing. I will, we will help people get their license. Um, we will help people. America, when it was written, when the Constitution was written, was not uh, a license to get a license to carry. The Second Amendment is very, very clear, and I stand on that. Um, and, and even as a firearms instructor, I 
tell people, hey, it's infinitely easier to deal with law enforcement if you have a license to carry. Like, duh, right? But it is an infringement, and it is you feeding that system. And if we help you get that license, all we ask is that you um, work politically, stay politically active after you get your license to obviously um, continue on your training journey, but at the same time, continue to overturn all of these things that are not needed. Um, Three of the safest states in America um, are Vermont, New Hampshire, and I think think maybe Rhode Island, if I'm not mistaken. But nonetheless, those top tier states of safety um, do not have a license to carry process. So this argument that you have to have a license, yada, 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 all of that stuff is very, very new and it's un-American. I think that we have been under attack for some time as it relates to our sovereignty, our individual rights, and the Constitution in general. Now, I know people um, may be like, well, I don't need the Constitution. The Constitution is a piece of paper. And I'm, 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 I'm somewhat in agreement with that in the sense of I get that perspective. But if this is the framework that you guys said is the supreme law of the land, and it's these things have been enumerated in the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, then that's the rule. So you can't now switch it up and go, oh, even though it was enumerated, we're going to come up with different rules. I think they'll try it because that's what government and state does. Mm -hmm. But I think it's important for people to step up against that. And my very loud action of saying I'm going to be a safe and responsible firearms owner, I am not a criminal. And uh, for those that may not understand, crime has to produce an actual victim. I'm not a criminal. And uh, yeah, I'm a Second Amendment supporter. And so saying this to say, when uh, I was doing a breakdown or a conversation with um, Tom Woods on his platform, we were literally talking about similar to now. Right now, I'm in a vehicle. I'm in now. I'm in South Philly, and uh, I just was having a discussion, having a discussion about why liberty values, libertarian values, and cat values. Um, we, as people that identify as those things, we cannot ignore urban America. It's very important. Our communities are over-policed, they violate our rights, and damn near literally as I was having that discussion, police officer pulls up, because I was outside in North Philly, um, and he attempts to start a drum up a pedestrian stop by asking me, do I have a license for that? And my firearm was concealed. Um, And I ignored him. I am not obligated to have a conversation with anyone that I don't want to, and I'm in the middle of a live stream that's being recorded. Um, and so in that process, uh, you know, he continued to go forward. I said, I'm not doing this. I turned around, walked away from him. He hops out and points his firearm at me and says, don't run. So obviously he got the drop on me. And that's the arrest. The arrest is for um, carrying a firearm without a license. And I, as I said earlier, I am a Second Amendment absolutist. I am not a criminal. I am not the bad guy. Um, and so that happened because that uh, live stream was to Tom Woods's uh, behind the paywall. Only a certain amount of people saw it. They see me get arrested. Phone goes off, yada, yada, yada. That is the charge. The charge is you were carrying a firearm without a license in the city of Philadelphia, even though Pennsylvania is a open carry state, even though the Hicks decision is the supreme law of the land. That precedent has been set in Pennsylvania. The Hicks decision is basically saying that the mere presence of a firearm does not justify probable cause. And to break that down a little bit further, if we're in an open carry state, you you might see a gun you, because it's an open carry state. The presence of that firearm is, does not justify criminal. It does not mean criminal activity, nor does it justify probable cause from a law enforcement officer. That's the precedent in my state of Pennsylvania. 
and this officer and the 6,000 officers in Philadelphia know when new laws are changed. They know that they can't do it. Sometimes they do it anyway. And so um, the interesting thing is me watching how many people that claim to be um, Second Amendment supporters, claim to be, uh, uh, you know, Second Amendment absolutists, say, well, you know, you do need a license in that state. And so you do need a license. We should be pushing back against all unconstitutional so-called man. I can't even call them laws, mandates, statutes, uh, whatever, um, because they're not in alignment with the supreme law of the land. And I think that there's a lot of Americans that are not aware of how this thing goes. When they wrote the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, these guys said anything that we didn't handle in this supreme law of the land, we will leave up to the states to decide. The Second Amendment was enumerated. And since it's enumerated, that's it. Um, and I think that we've allowed this definition to be um, turned into something else. We've allowed this concept to be, well, unless he went to jail for something or unless he's such and such. And again, I'm a Second Amendment absolutist. And that's the um, current reality of, of my um, open case. Well, anybody who's been following us, listening to our podcast, they're probably aware of the work that you do with the Solutionary Center. You, you do a great job of advertising, marketing, and, and getting the information out there of all the successes and wins that you guys do at the Solutionary Center. So it shouldn't be a surprise that with your work in urban America, which is, you know, it is ripe, it's, it's untapped. And I would suggest that some of these places probably have mm -hmm. the most unconstitutional rights violations on the books, right? Because there's so many tar so much targeting of minorities. So it's probably no secret that this is something that you do within your community. It's, it's no secret to local law enforcement. And I would probably assume here, Maj, that it was something like, you know, they're just looking for some low hanging fruit. A Maj, you know, carries a gun. We know he carries a gun. Now, if I got this correct, you're not exactly against gun licenses for others, but you choose not to comply with that uh, mandate, <laughs> as as you so aptly pointed out. Correct. Well, it's just interesting to me because, you know, as somebody who's been in the police accountability movement for so long, you know, we see YouTube filled of, of these videos of First Amendment auditors who go out there and they'll hold police accountable. They'll they'll talk back to them. They'll challenge them on the, their knowledge of the laws. And almost nearly every single time, you know, these these people are having their rights protected by the First Amendment. And it could go to the courts, it could go in front of a judge, and, and nine times out of 10, if not more than that, the First Amendment always holds. But there seems to be this kind of strange mentality when it comes to the Second Amendment that, you know, all these arbitrary restrictions are uh, for safety and, and it's going to prevent, you know, all these uh, mass shootings and stuff like that. And there's, they've certainly weighed it down with a, a lot of pre-crimes, I guess you could say. By doing that, they've, they've essentially violated our rights. And I know when we talked last time, you were mentioning that there wasn't a lot of prominent pro-gun organizations that were uh, helping you out with this case. Uh, so I guess seeing that, you know, this is kind of a big deal here. And you, you mentioned that in your post that you are facing jail time. Uh, has that changed at all? Are there currently any pro 2A groups or orgs that have reached out to you uh, to see if they could help or actively assist you in this gun charge? So there's I want to I want to give some clarity on that. Um, I When I made that statement, I didn't I didn't know I didn't want I, I, I didn't. The people that I have helped as friends, I didn't know if they wanted um, 
I was kind of pressing everybody to say, yo, this is something important and we should all be up in up up arm, up in arms, right? Um, I can call, you know, the head of FPC and I have. I can call and they've, you know, we've talked about these things. I want to give them their propers because I think I failed to communicate that as effectively as I should have or could have the last time. Um, I'm in constant communication with lawyers from all around the country. Like lawyers, you know, I could probably get damn near any lawyer on the phone. I want to be clear about that, but I'm saying I do not think that as a community at large, we are taking these types of things seriously. I think that we put a lot of energy into um, like, 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 oh, the Eagles are nine and one. I'm from Philly. Yo, that we that's bread and circuses, bro. Like, and 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 not in a not in a negative way. I have friends that have played for the Eagles. You know, one of my friends is a chef that, you know, is a chef for one of the high-ranking Eagles players. So I'm not saying people can't have their pastimes and whatever. But all of this stops. It, America is America because of the foundational structures of individual li liberties as well as a system of checks and balances on the government, not on the people. And so when you, I, I do think that there should be more um, organizations getting behind the Free Thought Project, Police the Police, Black Guns Matter, uh, Firearms Policy Coalition, gun, like big corporations that talk all of this America, 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 patriotic stuff, but where are you putting my money? I, I'm not interested in going to Buffalo Wild Wings to make a scoff at their anti-gun uh, gun-free zone sticker and still go in there and post it on social media, but I'm still feeding that anti-gun business because I'm giving them my resources. As opposed to finding a place that is, uh, to if I happen to watch football, because that's the one time I, one thing I give to myself while I'm free, freedom fighting, right? Or anyone, I'm going to find the business that's a local business that I want to support that are like, yeah, you can carry your firearm here. I'll give them my business. My point is, we have to make a, there needs to be a paradigm shift and a whole new praxis as it relates to what it means to be fighting for the, the sanity, the sovereignty, and the, um, you know, independence of America. And that means all of your little decisions every day. That means finding a patriot business. That means finding someone like Tony Simon from the diversity shoot, who's been doing the work of taking urban folks to the range before Blacks, Black Guns Matter existed. We have to, we can't just say, I'm a Second Amendment advocate and I have cool bumper stickers. It's not enough. It's not enough. I got so much pushback when, because um, people, you know, they, your paperwork is public. Everybody in the world knows that, even today, everybody knows that I have been convicted before. Everyone knows I've had a false rape accusation that was removed. It was not, it was false. I was not convicted. It never happened, right? Um, but And that was a charge, not a conviction. Um, but I've been convicted of selling DVDs. But the internet will jump out and say, well, this guy had a DVD conviction selling dvds and so because he got probation that made him a prohibited person one that's not true that's incorrect that's number one number two so what so what if the, the, the there are no asterisks as it relates to the second amendment it doesn't say the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed unless you convicted us of selling dvds in the future it didn't say that 
and and that level of Second Amendment absoluteness, and that I could even somewhat hear that more if I was convicted of a violent crime, or if I've I've never even been charged with a violent crime ever, other than the you know the false rape accusation. I mean violence. I mean like robbery, homicide. You know what I mean? And so these are the things that I want. I, I challenge us to say. If we're calling ourselves Second Amendment supporters and patriots and, and free speech absolutists, and I can disagree with the speech, but I'm going to defend your right to say it. If we're calling ourselves these things, what are we doing in our every single our everyday life to highlight these things? Because the people our everyday life to highlight people that are attempting to erode our rights and destroy the Constitution, they are not giving up their every day all day their decisions their propaganda their media their their schooling that every single area of human activity is in alignment with the subjugation of the american people and that can sound extreme until you start peeling back those layers and you start going the biden administration just presented the gun violence prevention board and they have a 13 billion dollar war chest where coming into next year, they're going to start using some of that money to get local and state candidates elected with some of that $13 billion as, as their anti-gun. This is an attack on our individual rights and the framework uh, as we know it. It's not liberty. It's not even democratic. It's not, it's, it's, it's authoritarian. And so when I made that statement, and I stand on it, but I still got to give the people the love that have shown love. I want to be clear about that because me just talking to people as my homie because I know he a lawyer does not mean that FPC didn't hook me up. You know what I'm saying? Or isn't trying to like, yo, because that's my homie, but he still works for FPC. So I got to be honest about that part of it. And, you know, and I didn't word that the best way. But I, I want to always challenge everyone to go, yo, are we doing enough? I'll give you a perfect example. There is absolutely no reason and nothing stopping every single person that is a follower of the Free Thought podcast, right? Free Thought Project and all of that. What's stopping you from two times a day picking an episode and retweeting it? It's free. It's free 99. Costs you nothing. But the impact that it could have as opposed to complaining about CNN, and you can still complain about CNN, but in opposition to that, how about we highlight the podcast? Instead of complaining about Maj had a conviction for DVDs, and then almost sounding like an anti-gunner as if that's the justifying thing that somehow makes it null and void for me to have the means to defend myself, maybe we should say, Nah, we're looking at that wrong. And so I just want to challenge everybody to look, step back and go, yo, are we doing as much as we can? And that could be financial. That could be the free 99 stuff. That could be reevaluating the view and the approach that you have to this Second Amendment or patriotism fight. I think it's very, very important. And if I got to be the lightning rod at certain times to make that happen, then, you know, that's just what it is. I, I just wanted to talk a little bit about the history of the Second Amendment in, in terms of what's going on uh, in the modern Supreme Court sense and give people a sense of, of where things are going, especially with some incredible cases that have come down um, in the past you know, uh, 10, 15 years. 
And right now we're having essentially a, a cultural legal renaissance for the Second Amendment. Uh, we're having things take place that were once thought impossible and insane to even you know imagine. And a big part of that is because of what was started in the Heller case. The Heller case was decided in June 26, 2008, um, and that was a District of Columbia Columbia versus uh, Dick Anthony Heller. And in that case, it was a federal case because, you know, D.C. is a you know, fa- federal territory there. Um, there was a, a man who was a D.C. special police officer. He wanted to have his uh, handgun uh, at home, but he didn't want to deal with their licensing and restriction applications. And so there was a lawsuit about that. And eventually um, what was brought out of that case was that Scalia delivered the uh, majority opinion and Heller you know, for the first time in a direct way from the Supreme Court, you know, where the court is dealing with the, the pertinent issue with the Second Amendment, they said that the Second Amendment is not just this thing that's limited to a militia. Um, it, it applies uh, specifically uh, to individuals and an individual right to keep and bear arms. And so the restrictions that were put by the District of Columbia on individuals uh, could not stand. They couldn't say, oh, you have to keep it unlocked and you have to ask us for permission to have these things. And then follow that up a couple of years later in the uh, Otis McDonald versus City of Chicago or the McDonald case in 2010, uh, the Second Amendment now finally having some kind of uh, energy to it uh, finally at the Supreme Court level uh, gets another landmark case that enables uh, the specific individual right to apply to the states through the 14th Amendment's incorporation. And what's kind of fascinating about this is that there was – you know, different avenues that people thought about how they would apply with the 14th Amendment. The majority said, you know, the general, uh, you know, group of people uh, or the, the general principle um, that people, you know, would have this under would be the due process clause. Um, but uh, Thomas said, you know, the privileges or immunities clause would be the a more appropriate avenue. And that was not technically outright challenged. So between Heller and McDonald, you now had the Second Amendment be considered something that was an individual right for sure at the Supreme Court. And on top of that, the states had to apply it as well. Fast forward to today, the biggest case that we have that you know just changed everything is the Bruin case, which is the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association uh, versus Bruin that came down June 23rd, 2022. So it's fairly recent. And there, the state of New York was saying that you need to show a special need in order to get this carry license and you know have it outside the home and it was very onerous and there's so much corruption and cronyism with this where basically the only way a lot of people got it was by buying off police officers and things like that essentially you know treating them out to things it was it was really corrupt um so the supreme court Fortunately, with the majority uh, that we have today, which is actually a, an originalist majority, they focus on the you know original intent in some varying ways of, of the Constitution. They said, no, New York's law cannot stand. This is unconstitutional. And they came up with a new way of framing how to look at the Second Amendment and, and other laws. And this you know rocked the legal world. So this case in New York completely changed the paradigm for everybody. It was the flood, you know, the floodgates opened. It was insane. And right now that test is is being applied in ways that's really fascinating. And I think it's ultimately going to lead to some potential opportunities with Maj's case. 
Uh, for example, uh, there was actually something that just came down November 21st, 2023. This is in the, the fourth district court of federal appeals, you know, Maj's in the third up in Pennsylvania. So it's it's not mandatory authority in terms of, oh, they have to follow this. But it, I think it's pretty informative to think about, you know, what's taking place. And in this case, Maryland, um, they had this burdensome handgun application process, right? So a person would have to pay 50 bucks, get fingerprints, undergo a background investigation, take a four hours firearms class where they have fire at least one round. And there was even this 30 day window between that and what was called the 77R application where individuals would have to fill out an application with personal information and wait another seven days for another background check to buy a handgun. So it's pretty onerous, you know, someone's sitting here having to wait all this time to get a gun to protect themselves. And that's a big problem if you need it, you know, cause someone's after you or, or there's some, you know, problem. So in this case, um, in a 2-1 decision, uh, they went through what is the, the new Bruin test. And the Bruin test basically says that um, there must be historical evidence you know, to justify its law in this uh, you know, historical analog. So they have to show that you know, in, in terms of what I think the Supreme Court's really saying, that at the time where the Second Amendment was, was put together and ratified, you know, was there this historical backdrop as to saying that these types of restrictions uh, would be valid? And of course, that's already kind of assuming the applicability of the Second Amendment you know, when we're talking about, does this apply to a person? Okay, are you an individual U.S. citizen, right, of the people? You know, and, and it's dealing with a, a gun issue. Right. So we're kind of past that point, but this is just looking at that historical um, aspect and that, that historical tradition. So what's fascinating about this is that, of course, uh, you know, when we're talking about 1789, a lot of the restrictions that we have today did not exist then and did not have a strong tradition. And in fact, probably most of the uh, traditions in terms of restrictions revolved around different types of of either racial or religious discrimination, either directly or indirectly, um, you know, you know that was most of the, the debates. Usually, was was these uh, Negro laws, you know, trying to disarm newly freed black persons um, and to keep them from being able to exercise their rights. Uh, so it's kind of interesting to see this actually play out and to see different uh, courts work. You know, with uh, with states in, in this this debate, and to see some of these people coming up from the state, you know, state attorneys trying to say that, oh, well, you know, th those great Jim Crow laws, right, with you know, restricting black people from having guns. That see, that's our history that we need to say is why we can ban guns now. It's pretty, you know, pretty wild stuff. Um, so, you know, it's it's really a losing proposition uh, for these um, you know states that are trying to keep up any of their restrictive policies. Uh, it's it's really not looking good for them and, and they're losing left and right. I mean, another key case here that's something to think about um, was a Texas case where they had this 18 to 22, uh, 18 to 20 year old uh, ban for getting, you know, handguns. And essentially that was struck down. They said, um, you know, you can't ban a whole category of people based on their age. Um, there is, you know, no precedent for this here in you know early america and on top of that you, you can't discriminate based on age you're legal adults you know and this is a fundamental right incorporated against the states uh, you can't stop legal adults from getting guns and carrying them so um you know really fascinating stuff and now we're, we're turning towards some other questions that are coming up of course you know in, in the process um you know we're going to be dealing with issues like the federal felon ban right um where you know, there's a question of can there be bans on people who had felonies? And, you know, it's kind of a difficult question itself because the fe the federal felon ban, you know, the first one was until 1938, and that didn't ban every felon. It just banned a certain 
limited class of people who are murderers, rapers, you know, kidnappers, that kind of thing, really high level stuff. And then you didn't have the general ban until the Gun Control Act of, of 1968. So, you know, all these different issues of various forms of gun control and restrictions are now coming under review in a way that, you know, 20 years ago would have been like unimaginable. It's really something special. So the question then is, is how might this apply to Pennsylvania and specifically Philadelphia, right? So the Maryland case that just came down, that was about getting, you know, the firearm itself. So there's a different issue, of course, when someone's trying to say, hey, um, you also need a license just to carry. I think that, you know, if we're looking at what's going on right now with with the case law and the hit and what's going on elsewhere, by and large, outside of maybe the Seventh Circuit where it's or Ninth Circuit potentially, where you get a little bit more of the, the leftist judges, um, it seems like it's coming to a head, especially on this uh, east coast to you know, southern coast of, of district appeals, that these laws and restrictions, you know, cannot really stand on both the purchase and the carry. And the main thing here, of course, is, is we're talking about the carry. And in Philadelphia, you have to be 21 resident of Philadelphia. And then uh, on top of that, you know, they, they have this 45 day investigation window and they can not only deny you based on, you know, you having a, a certain charge that would make you prohibited by law or maybe, you know, mental health uh, kind of assignment, but they even may deny based on their character or reputation being something that they think is is not good. And that's that's way too broad, right? This when we're talking about a fundamental right, that's really going well beyond um anything that could possibly still survive, which basically the limited things that maybe might survive from Heller is the most immediate forms of restriction, um, you know, in terms of a check. Like you have a background check immediately and okay, you know, you pass mental health um, just records check, not that you need a mental health evaluation, but you know, you're not a prohibited person or you're not a prohibited person by the felony thing. Maybe those might survive, maybe. But that's that's the worst case scenario, I think, in this case. You can't just have this thing where it's like, oh, well, now on top of that, you have to ask permission to carry. It's like, no, if you get your firearm, then you've passed those checks. You should be able to carry. There shouldn't be an independent thing. So that's the next, I think, angle that is going to be faced, you know, obviously by you, Maj, and whoever else is is taking this new route of the carry aspect, you know, in, in these uh, licensing schemes. And I would say the brewing case um, certainly points at uh, these types of restrictions being unconstitutional. Now, the question is, is how will that play out? Will they say, well, you know, you have a right to open carry, but not concealed because historically concealed carry was considered the illegal carry. It was considered the carry that was only done by criminals. And the open carry was the normal way of doing things because it's like, oh, see, you're, you're letting people know that you're armed and that you're safe. So there might be some of those issues like fleshed out, but I would say it's it would be very difficult, especially as written for this type of scheme to be held up just given the other rulings. And again, you never know who your, your judge is going to be and you never know where it's going to have to go up. But we're seeing these cases come up through the various federal uh, circuits. There's definitely a conflict emerging. And I think that um, it's a matter of time before the Supreme Court's going to have to take that up on a more direct way. And fortunately, at least right now, the current landscape of the Supreme Court, fingers crossed, is fairly favorable. We have our Bruin court. We have, you know, Kavanaugh, Gorsuch, Barrett, Roberts, Alito, and Thomas being people who are likely to have um, a more constitutionally conservative originalist interpretation. They have different flavors of it, but based on their past rulings, when we look through Heller, McDonald, and Bruin, it seems highly probable that if it gets to them, they're going to say these types of schemes are probably 
unconstitutional. And they're probably going to admit at a minimum, say that, you know, the, the place where if there is any type of check would be at the purchase point of getting, you know, a gun in that way, not at whether, you, you know, you can carry it would be just, oh, okay, can, can you pass not being a prohibited person, you know, for whatever reason. And again, there's things there to debate as well, because <laughs> certainly, just because, um, you know, you don't have a gun doesn't mean you're not dangerous. So it's like, you know, you let someone free, but okay, you can't have a gun, but you could still hurt someone with a, a car or a knife or, any, or a bat or whatever else. It's It kind of gets silly when you think about it, that someone's free to be around, but only the gun will magically make them start being murderous, right? That's just what turns them into a, a rampaging person. So, you know, there's other things to address. Um, but I, I do think that this is, you know, a unique opportunity with Maj's uh, case. And I think he even has a unique opportunity with um Thomas's uh, pointing to the Privileges and Immunities Clause, specifically because with the 14th Amendment, remember, this was passed to push back against the discrimination against Black Americans who are being targeted disproportionately and not being treated equal under the law. So you, it may not be that, oh, okay, you were targeted because of minority status, but it should bear to mind, and I would bring that up, you know, if there was, you know, a case that I would hope the attorneys would bring that up at least to say, hey, this is a great example of what this whole spirit of the law was for. The whole spirit of the law was supposed to be equal protection and it was supposed to be protecting people, you know, evenly to have, uh, you know, individual rights and it's supposed to apply to, to individuals. That's what the whole bill of rights for. It's not the bill of, you know, permissions. So, you know, it, it's just kind of a great backdrop to also tie in because, you know, obviously you want to throw every possible argument argument you can at this type of situation and hope that at least one thing sticks. But there has never been a better time in all of American history, especially in the postmodern era, to be taking up a gun case um, you know, on the appellate level. I mean, the case law we have right now is is some of the most incredible things, you know, that when I was in law school, it was like, you know, a dream, dream team level of, of case law to, to go off of, especially these you know, past uh, 10 ish years, you know, after um, the Heller McDonald cases. So I just wanted to, you know, give a little bit of background and, and food for thought to the audience here about the uh, the case law, because I think that's kind of interesting to see and, and to think about yourself. And you never know, maybe you're going to be someone that, you know, who's listening, who ends up going and taking a case themselves because of whatever issue it is. It's, you know, in your state, it's, you know, it's really a great time to be uh, taking up those cases. And so getting connected with FPC, Firearms Policy Coalition, or or another good organization like maybe GOA. Again, it, it's a great time to consider challenging these things. One hundred. I think that 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 was a very thorough and eloquent way of breaking it down. What's happening is that pendulum swinging backwards is going back to the actual Constitution as written, without the political. This is what I think. This is what my donor class that got me elected in this position, so forth and so on. I think that 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 panel of judges and some of those things I still kind of disagree with, at, at least at the SCOTUS level. I just think that, you know, the, the irony of how the pendulum swings, you know, you got Clarence Thomas, who was like damn near trying to be stopped by now President Joe Biden, however, 30 some odd years ago. He shows up, they're pushing for anti-gun stuff. He slaps them with the Constitution, makes his rulings. Like the Bruin decision, Black Guns Matter is cited in the Bruin decision, literally. So like these are the things that, you know, I, I just challenge people to, if you're a Second Amendment guy, if you're a freedom guy or lady or, you know, a pro-gun person, your thought process should be, you know, to Jack's point, this is the time to do that. But are you willing to actually be loud 
the silent majority, it has been killing us. It's been killing us. You know, so when I hear guys going, well, he had DVD sales, so he shouldn't have gun. It's like, are you really, do you identify as Second Amendment supportive with that weak argument? And it, it, it just, it just speaks to that, you know, challenge. Basically, the Overton window is shifting back in the direction of the Constitution. There's 27 Constitution carry states in America. Again, those top three being states that, uh, in safety, that you don't need this so-called permission slip or license. And I think to your point, it's, it's, it's 100% the time. I just happened to come across it on the oops. I wasn't, I've been very vocal about I don't have a license to carry. I don't have, I've been for years, right? This was, a, in my opinion, an oops because he's a, he looks like a North Philly dude. He's in North Philly. I think he's printing. Let's just hop out. He's probably got guns and drugs on him. I don't, these guys, based at least on their preliminary, what he said in the preliminary case, the, the officer, he has no idea who I am. And I don't see why it would make sense for him to pretend like he doesn't when he could have used that as his argument in the preliminary. But he took the stand and said, I never saw this guy before. I just knew he was printing. And so even though I, I, I would have to assume, and that's, an, that's a big word, I would have to assume that he knows when, you know, when there's rulings like the Hicks decision and things like that, they tell law enforcement, yo, we can't approach it this way. You got to do it this way. I know he was trying to pet stop. I didn't have to talk to him. I didn't want to talk to him respectfully, you know. And so they'll just try to do a thing. And unfortunately, in his case, this might cost the city of Philadelphia um, some some money, you know, on, on a civil tip. Because we got to not just only play defense once, we caught, once, we, once we're presented with these situations. We also got to go on offense. And I think that that's what's made not only Heller and McDonald over there, Chicago, D.C., but again in Chicago, even with Rhonda Ezell beating two federal cases where you couldn't have a gun range in Chicago's city limits, and she she beat that. She beat that. You can have a gun range in the city of Chicago limits now, even though there aren't, still aren't any um, free market enterprise opportunity to any billionaire or millionaire, but nonetheless, um, she won those. And now with that, those floodgates, again, the Bruin, this, that, that handgun qualification situation down in Maryland. Um, there's a case, I forget the name of it, man. I forget it. I'm so, my, my apologies to everyone. Where there's a guy that's like, yeah, I was convicted of violent crimes, but there's nothing in the Second Amendment that says, once I've paid my debt to society, that I don't have the means to defend myself. And so that's looking good. The, the weird part is, it's, we have to make sure when we continue to go in that direction and get back in the direction of constitutionality, sovereignty, individual rights and liberties, we have to be more voracious about defending those rights. We got to this space now where the pendulum has to swing back this way because we were too lax. We were not open and honest about um, public servants that we knew and liked. You know, everyone loved Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan is a major reason why California, thus America, is in an anti-gun space. That is the reality. We have to call that out. We just had an amazing win by Javier uh, Millet in, in uh, Argentina. I would love for him to do the things that he said he would. I believe him, but he's also a politician. We as libertarians have to be like, yeah, that's great. Now let's see if you follow through. If we get comfortable and lax with anything that is not in defense of our freedom and liberties, it can be another 30 or 40 years before we start to make some traction like we're now making, you know, um, in, in, in the, uh, the Second Amendment space. The, the, the data is clear. The book John Lott wrote is just it's it's clear. 
as licenses to carry, even though I'm against licensing, that means there's more people getting licenses and trained and firearms owners. As those licenses since the 90s have increased, violent crime in America outside of a few spikes has decreased. No different than as more um, safe from us to his point, good, more guns, less crime, which is the title of the book. But my point is uh, we have to be vigilant in how we're approaching these freedoms as we push them back. And it's almost like it, the, the, the data becomes too. There's been a long enough time of the anti-gun reign. 1990, Joe Biden makes gun free zones. 1991, Clinton signs him into office. Since then, 30 some odd, 40, almost 40 years from, you know, ago. Now, you know, 90 percent of the mass shootings are in those gun free zones. So we unfortunately had to have a didn't have to, but we did have a long time of these things happening that the data is undeniable. Safe and responsible firearms owners, less licensing, more education, not legislation, create safer areas with less crime that are uh, in alignment with our Constitution, Bill of Rights, and individual rights. Areas where there's trampling of that, less, you know, good guys with firearms, more violent crime, more mass shootings. And I don't want us to have to sit through, you know, we keep pushing and we get you know, lackadaisical in 50, 60 more years after we make these wins. Now we got another cycle of 30 years of people going, through, oh, we just got to do something. Let's, let, first thing, let's violate the Constitution. It doesn't make sense. And I think that everyone um, should just be asking themselves those questions in all of the areas that we work, you know, that, that we say we're about. Yeah, well, <clears throat> I feel like we talked about this in our last, our last podcast with you as well, Maj, but I very much appreciate your focus on challenging the freedom movement, right? And this isn't something I consider like friendly fire because this is something that kind of needs to be said. Like there needs to be more of an emphasis on exactly what you said, defending our rights, but also supporting each other so we can continue to move the ball forward. And it feels like there's this, I don't know, there's, we don't have this level of seriousness that we really need. It feels like we need to evolve past this self-serving interest. And I mean, you were talking about like the CNN meme in the post and that's a lot of what we see right now. We see the freedom community kind of more focusing on their own self-interest and to a certain extent, I understand that, right? Like we all have to survive, but there needs to be more of a, a culmination of unity when it comes to trying to mount up a defense, mount up a yeah. formidable uh, offense even to, you know, combat some of this stuff. And uh, to quote Martin Luther King Jr., you know, he, he was talking about war with this quote, but I think it very much applies to our situation as well. Those who love peace must learn to organize as effectively as those who love war. I, I don't think we're there yet as a freedom community. I think we're getting close. I think we're moving the ball forward slowly, but there has to be more. You know, it's it's more than just being a boog boy that's you know has the night vision and the, the level four plates and all that stuff, right? Like we need to start having some kind of culmination of action as well. And I think until we get to that point, we're not going to have a lot of cohesive momentum forward. So I think that's important. And, you know, I appreciate you still kind of focusing on this. I, I feel like there, we need to be as a community emphasizing this much more. Now, Jack, I, I certainly appreciate the, the context and perspective that you brought to the table. And I certainly appreciate you highlighting the positive. I think that's important too, because it's easily, it's easy to, to kind of, I don't know, revert to the doom and gloom kind of mindset. So that was excellent perspective and, and context. And you were mentioning the, the New York case, how that changed the paradigm and how the feds are losing left and right. 
one part about this that fascinates me is that the gun control debate is already over. This conversation was already won by the 3D printing gun community years ago. And what I'm referring to is the fact that not only do 3D printed guns exist in large numbers now, but the files for them were traded millions of times back in 2015. So this idea of gun control is futile. And in fact, a couple of weeks ago, we actually interviewed a woman who directed a wonderful documentary film all about Cody Wilson and 3D printed guns. Uh, the, the documentary was called uh, Death Athletic. And the director we interviewed is named Jessica Solche. And it's definitely a, a listen, a must listen episode, guys. It was powerful. Um, and in that episode, we, we talked about how the government is not only too archaic and impotent and slow to respond to technology such as, you know, these 3D printed gun files, but it actually has no legal basis to challenge them because ultimately it is a First Amendment issue. And a quick, a quick uh, little anecdotal tidbit from that conversation, uh, Cody Wilson's organization, Defense Distributed, is, is located in um, Austin, Texas. And behind their manufacturing facility, they actually have a little gravestone with the epitaph American gun control, you know, so like these guys literally had a mock funeral for the concept of gun control because it really can't be taken seriously anymore, you know, and yep. it's certainly not going to be able to, uh, you know, hold up to its original intention that it set out to do, which is, you know, limit guns. Uh, so I guess, do you suspect that this charge on you is something similar? It's like a last grasp at trying to use a, a baseless arbitrary mechanism to not necessarily thwart guns, but to limit a particular person's rights and, and kind of put like a symbolic noose around the neck of, you know, anybody they want to aim this law at. I think not even just for me, I think that that's what they do. I think that the way that the officer engaged me mm -hmm. was you're an undesirable and you do what I say and I don't care. I know that law when I was being processed at the station and I was talking to some officers that recognized me from the neighborhood or recognized me from um, selling things or whatever, not even for my Second Amendment work. In Philly, I'm known for a bunch of other things. And so they were like, yeah, that case is going to get thrown out. And then he was and one of the cops was like, yeah, I'm not telling you that to make you feel good. He's like, we can't do that anymore. He's like, did you tell him Did was something was there a call? And I was like, nah, he was like, yeah, we can't do that. I think that there's officers that have a thought process that the people should be subject to what we tell them to do and will be protected by the state. So there's a I'm, I'm just one. And the reason why um, I, I, I have a public defender, I have a public defender because I'm like, I got all I, I can call Joshua Prince at any given moment. And I have. And, and so, like, I wanted to see what the process was. Um, as just, okay, you guys continue to be, treat me as the regular dude. You guys gave me a six month, well, here, just take this deal of six months in jail. No, no. The thing is, they're, it's, they're so used to just doing it to people that I would love to say they were intelligent enough to try to target me this way. And, and, and you know, during the COVID, you know, overreach and regime, I, I for a while thought like, and I do think there's nefarious purposes mm. and all of that, but I underestimated and undermined their level of arrogance and incompetence. I underestimated their level of arrogance and incompetence. And I think this is a mixture. Forget this kid, this guy in North Philly. He's probably a drug dealer. 
Never mind the conversation about the war on drugs. Never mind that. This this exchange of commerce between two consenting adults. Never mind that. But in that person's mind, he's got drugs on him. He's got a gun on him. He's probably got 15 felonies and robberies. That is how the agents of the state in these spaces is literally what I was having to live with Tom Woods about. In these communities, more specifically, not limited to, there is a we get to do what we want to you. We are not here to serve and catch actual criminals. We have identified you all as the criminal. And if the criminal is the villain and if the villain has a gun, fuck his rights. Fuck his constitutional rights. We don't care about it. And I think I got inadvertently swooped up in that. And now I kind of got to low key play it like I'm a regular and I am a regular dude. But I mean, like in a sense of, you know, when he took the stand and on a preliminary and said, I've never seen this guy before. I just knew he was printing. I love that. I love that because you gave away any type of probable cause. I love that. It wasn't. Yeah, that's Maj Touré. He's the advocate for the Second Amendment. And I know he doesn't have a, he always talks about not having a license to carry. That may have established the probable cause, but it didn't. And, you, and I waited until you got on the preliminary stand to say that. And you did. Now it's a part of the record. My point in saying this is there's a mixture of arrogance and incompetence here. And there's the arrogance of anyone that's an American citizen should do what I say because I have this uniform on. The ignorance of the Constitution of itself, because you don't have to be a constitutional specialist to do a few months in the academy and then get, get your uniform and your gun. And I just disagree with that. I, I think that um, that is one of the most damaging and destructive to our constitutional republic. I'll say it that way, um, because I know some people don't even believe in the Constitution. It's a piece of paper, and I understand that logic. However, I think that even that what it's supposed to represent as checks on government, if you don't even know your checks as the agent of the state and you don't think it's supposed to be a limited government situation, everything is OK. Everything that we do to this, this, these, these, these people that are the the undesirables, it's OK. I'm the undesirable when I'm in North Philly, where I live, where I've raised my, you know, my, my, my myself and. And, and, and done hard work and tried to strengthen my community. You know, I'm a, I actually, people like us, the citizenry, should actually be the ally of law enforcement. We're not cool with the actual criminals, bro. And if you stop calling everything crime, like that dude that sells weed, oh, he goes to jail and gets football numbers, but the yuppie that moves back that got some tech startup money that wants to get a license from the government to sell cannabis and get a dispensary, Somehow that one's good. It's okay. It's a walking contradiction. But the reality is when we start to look at this thing from a, 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 a bigger lens, you know, and look back and go, damn, we've criminalized living. The founders to this nation had hemp farms. And so you can't even like have hemp. So like these are the things that we have to reshape. And, you know, to Jack's point, as it relates to firearms ownership, this is the perfect time to do it. But the people have to be um, your court of pub public opinion has to be. So what? I don't I, look. I, I hate pedophiles. I hate them. I hate them. Hate them. I, I'm a father. Uh, I hate rapists. I, I, I low key, not as much, but I hate people that steal things because it's like, ah, it's like I don't even like people that eat my food if I come home and I'm. That leftover steak. I wanted that steak. You know what I'm saying? And, and so, like, 
I think that those people that steal, rob, kill, rape, I want law enforcement to target their focus in that direction of actual crime, property violations and things of that nature. But we need the general public to be louder about that because then in a, in a weird way, it also educates law enforcement officers. They're not learning about, you know, you have a duty. You don't you, you don't have a duty to protect and serve. We're not holding them to a standard of you should be here to protect and serve. There's been countless uh, decisions, court decisions that have proven law enforcement have no obligation to protect you at all. And so the, 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 the shift needs to be in the public opinion and then shifting, you know, what, what, what did Breitbart say? Politics is downstream from culture. The culture shift needs to be about freedom and liberty. And we do that by being louder. We do that by saying, you know, hey, man, law enforcement officers damn near repeating that. Like, yo, man, I'm not I'm not jumping out on this dude and pointing a firearm at him. And I don't even know him. And I know that the precedent is not in my favor to even do that if he even knows that. So these are the areas why where us being louder and communicating, and to your point, Jason, of challenging each other. I, I say these things to our brothers and sisters in arms and in liberty. I say these things passionately, and I think people can see that it's about love and moving forward, more so when they can hear my tone and the voice. Sometimes on Twitter or X, it sounds like I'm being a, a jerk, but I'm not. I promise y'all I'm not. It's just because we are the vanguard. We are the leaders. We, Michael Jordan was the hardest working player on the team. So when he's challenging you to step up, Steve Kerr, if I pass you this shot, you better hit it. You know what I'm saying? We have to be the, the 300. We are the best of the best. We are, this is sounds, this is going to sound so dramatic. We are damn near. I know that the Greece people said it back in the day. But America and this Constitution and Bill of Rights, that is a, a, a tapestry of some of the best of limiting government when written from all across the world. That's what those dudes did. OK, let's take a little bit of this. Let's have a system of checks and balances. Let's do this. Let's individual rights. Let's freedom. Like, like in Philadelphia, where I live, where I'm at right now. If this falls. Like. Like China is China at this point. If this falls and if we are the vanguards that are tasked with the responsibility of keeping the republic and the individual sovereignty, if this falls, what does the rest of the world look like? And I don't mean that as if America doesn't have, you know, our issues. Slavery was a fucking thing. But I also know that there was a Thomas Paine dude around at the same time going like, no, we're not doing that. We shouldn't do this, guys. Right. And I know they, those guys still were like, nah, man, we got it. We got to like clean this slavery thing up. I know you guys, you money guys, that's where y'all got your money. But we got like that part of the story got to get told, too. But like, like this concept. That has nurtured America to become one of, if not the most powerful republic slash empires. And we start teetering too much in the empire conversation. But if this falls what does the rest of the world have to aspire to? A few years ago, right before the COVID thing, there were people in China waving American flags saying, we want the Second Amendment here. 
That is an example of leadership that we can get behind. But if we're not challenging ourselves as the leaders in these freedom and liberty movements and and and, and sovereignty movements and and individual rights and collective support and working together because we want to and voluntary is not because the government told us we have to. If we're the leaders and we're not challenging each other to support each other, what does the rest of the Chicago, 1993 Chicago Bulls look like? They, they, they look like, well, I mean, I guess Mike will do it. As opposed to Mike going, you have to see the floor the way that I see the floor. And that's why I challenge us all to support each other. It's no, I'm not going to pretend like I don't want, we have 255000 more dollars left to raise. We're going to buy our building and handle all of the classes for 2024. I am of, I don't bashfully say, it's no shame in my game. We've, we are fundraising. We already gave away hundreds of thousands of dollars to do this. But it can't be an individual effort. You know what I mean? We have to, and, and, and that means I have to come do the Free Thought Project and lend energy to it as much as I can when I can, right? I have to retweet the philosopher's tweets and posts. I posted one of her stories yesterday. I got to like, get Jack stuff and find him again on a new Twitter page that I got kicked off of and follow him there if I didn't already and repost that and, and vice versa. If not, you are a sitting duck. You shoot the head, the body drop. We need to be Hydra. We need to be Hydra. And so this is the reason why I'm, I'm so passionate um, and traveling the world and seeing places that don't have front doors and our so-called poor people in America have iPhones and the Chinese people or the Congolese people that made the lithium and the cobalt to make this phone happen don't have, you know, the bare necessities for the most part. You know, I have to challenge us to be that leadership. Not just me. We all have to challenge each other to push each other to be better for the world like this. They are coming for our national sovereignty. We have to be the leaders of what freedom looks like in the sense of non-interventionism, in the sense of stop stealing the American people's money through theft and inflation. We had that. So we just got to go back to that. America became the most powerful nation in the world, one, by staying out of wars, one, two, by focusing on building and strengthening. At the time when Pittsburgh was making damn near 30% of the world steel, like, we can get there. I, I, I really, bro, I'm Brad Pitt in seven before he turns into Morgan Freeman. I, I, cannot believe, I cannot be a cynic. I believe that we can get there. I know it. I see too much good in so many people outside of, you know, this social media apparatus. We can do it. We can do this, guys. We can do it. There are 27, to Jack's point. There was a time 20, 30 years ago where everybody was like, well, it's an assault ban. Uh, uh, what are you going to do? New York just failed, failed to push their anti-gun agenda further. New York. California's attorney general is getting his ass whipped damn near every week at this point. We can do this. There's 27 constitutional carry states, not a license that is nationally respected. 27 states saying, nah, just carry a gun and shoot bad guys and not good people and you're fine. We can do this, guys. So I went on a bit of a tangent um, and and I just thank y'all for listening. I thank you, Jack, for your supreme breakdown of those 
major cases in a direction and that optimism, that optimism and like, uh, man, I, I, I lean to guys like you, you know, and you guys for where the technical components that I may be missing. I'm like Draymond Green. I'm like the, like the passionate, come on, let's go. Like, you know what I'm saying? But the technical components, the Steve Kerr's and all of that, you guys bring, and you ladies and gentlemen, bring that to the table and we all work together and, and, and we can create a, 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 a freedom dynasty. And, and just thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. I agree with you and I, uh, I'm very honored by your words. Definitely, it takes a lot of us all working together in our different zones of our expertises and what we're passionate about. But the main thing is being able to celebrate each other's successes, look for opportunities for growth, and see how it is that we can you know, maximize our potential and whatever it is that we're trying to succeed with in building this wider culture for liberty. Yeah, well said. And I, I agree 100%. Uh, Jack is great at kind of centering us with optimism. And I know he's done that personally for me, as well as, you know, really important information to kind of whisper into my ear when I get a little too carried away with certain things. So I, I appreciate that, Jack. And uh, I bet you all didn't really know that Maj was a motivational speaker as well, huh? So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, just a couple things here. Um, I would say it's it's not just uh, you know challenging each other. It's not just being louder, but we also have to make freedom cool. And, and I think that's something that you're doing very effectively, Maj. And uh, you know, it's embracing integrity. It's it's making logical consistency cool again. I, I feel like this is all part of moving the ball forward. And uh, it's not just that individual effort, right? Like there is so much that we could do by ourselves, but there are times when, and I know, you know, libertarians hate this concept of collectivism, but there is a certain core element of that that is important that can actually help us accomplish our goals. And uh, there, there is a reason why, you know, Michael Jordan bitch slapped Steve Kerr back in the day, right? So sometimes these things need to be said. You guys could take that as you will. You know, I don't know what the fuck is going on in Philly. I actually have another friend, and he's actually the dude who is supposed to be on the show this week. His name is Adam of Best Damn Buds, and he's a really friendly guy. He actually canceled because he just got hit again. He, he's a he's a cannabis hemp entrepreneur. He's a business owner. Uh, he has a fairly large operation, and he's been targeted by the local police, and, and more recently the sheriff, for simply selling a legal product with hemp cultivated Delta nine products, you know, and spend three different times now. And once he beats the case, they hit him again a few months later with another charge. And it's almost starting to feel like they're trying to bankrupt his operation out of existence. So I, I guess so much for the, you know, city of brotherly love. Right. Yep. But, uh, this, this is going to be the last, what, how, what can, can we sell? What does he sell? And can we, what does he have a site? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll definitely uh, include that. I'll share it with you. I'll include that at the um, in the bottom, uh, the show notes. I'll send a, I'll put a link out for that. And, and yeah, I mean, uh, th we'll do an episode with him soon because his story is fascinating, and he's just been you know in and out of the, the legal system here quite a few times. I think since like 2020 now, and they just keep targeting him and harassing him. But with that said, this is going to be the last question, just because you know we are getting low on time, but. How do you envision that you can win this case without painting a target on your back like that? Like what and like what do you envision both the best case scenario and the worst case scenario for this situation? And I, I think it's important just so our audience knows just how serious this charge is. 
best case scenario, the judge that I have sees that this this is a violation of the Fourth Amendment. This is a violation of the Hicks decisions. It's like, yo, this is out of here. My team goes high five. I get my $7,500 in bail back minus some processing fees. We move forward with a civil suit and they give me $3 million. Best case scenario. Worst case scenario, I do some jail time. I make, we raise millions of dollars and we get more people that continue to do the work regardless. Either way, like, again, I didn't murder anybody. So like, I'll work out, I'll like work out, I'll read books, I'll like get some rest and I'll come out with more resources than I had. Like, if they make the mistake of giving me street cred, like, come on, bro. Like, how, you're, you're walking me into a being a martyr and giving me street credibility by saying Maj stood up for the Second Amendment and you're making me Muhammad Ali going to jail. Like, you're, you're like that's formula. Like, that would be so stupid on your part. I, I mean, like, hey, okay. Um, but, you know, there would have to be uh, amazing lapses in judgment. There would have to be so many things that it clearly were done wrong. Um, but I think I think that outside of that, regardless of how that goes, we got to make sure that we as a unit, as a collective, are supporting the work. So, guys, if you can, I want this thing to, you know, give single.com forward slash solutionary support the work. If somebody's listening to this and you're one of those multi-bajillionaires and want to like, hey, Maj, I'll give you the last $250,000 and um, you got to like help my company or something for a year or so. I'm down to that. I'm down for that. Whichever way I got to go, because it's really, really difficult to fundraise, do classes, and fight a case while having family time. So, like, say that to say, um, best case scenario, they go like the judge um, actually follows their own rules. And it's like, yeah, no, you can't do that. Um, that <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Worst case scenario, the judge is like, let's get them. This is what we trained for. And I go work out and come out super swollen, ripped, because I won't be drinking as much, like, alcohol. <laughs> All right, free thinkers, this episode is nearing the end. We wanted to take this time to remind you, if you found value in this conversation, please consider hitting that like button and subscribing to the Free Thought Project podcast on your preferred platform of choice. It's an easy, no-cost way to support us and ensure you never miss an episode. Also, the Free Thought Project operates primarily on the generosity of our listeners. If you believe in our mission and support our cause, please consider donating or subscribing by going to the membership tab at the top of our website. Your contributions ensure we are able to continue our important work having these important conversations and your donations help us do just that. Lastly, if you're part of an organization or own a business that aligns with our mission and values, we are currently inviting sponsorships for our podcast. This is a fantastic opportunity to promote your product or make your brand visible to our engaged audience while supporting meaningful discourse. Thank you for your support, Freethinkers. And as always, thank you for listening. All right, guys. Well, Maj did uh, mention his Solutionary Center, but he has been funding it exclusively off donations for years now. And, you know, the work he's doing over there is absolutely critical. They teach gun etiquette. They teach gun safety and so much more than that. I know there's a whole list of things that you guys do and you provide for free into the, you know, the urban inner city. So uh, certainly worthy of a donation. So go over to give, send, go slash solutionary to donate there. And Maj, I know I mentioned this last episode too, because it's so damn true, but your t-shirt game. So, and of course, not to mention the the amazing black guns matter hoodies you sell. So definitely check that out at uh, the, the merch over there at blackgunsmatter.myshopify.com. Um, 
obviously Maj is up against a behemoth here against the state trying to beat this case. So please, 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 you all donate, help Maj beat this so he could stay out of a cage and keep doing what he's best at. Uh, I'm sure I missed something, Maj, but what else would you like to plug and definitely tell our listeners where they could follow you? Uh, Instagram, Big Daddy Two Ray, B I G D A D D Y Two Ray. Backup Instagram, Maj Two Ray Nine Nine Nine. X, formerly Twitter, Maj Two Ray Nine Nine Nine. Register for classes, online classes, solutionaryuniversity.org. Um, merch, Black Guns Matter. Uh, Etsy. We switched it. Black Guns Matter. Etsy. Oh. Com. Oh, um, and and follow. For, that's that's cool too. I need everybody that hears this to commit to. I just want you guys to repost random episodes of the Free Thought Project podcast four times a week. I just want you to pick random episodes <laughs> and four days out of seven, just repost them to your platforms one every other day. I want everybody to do that because this is how we get we are mainstream. The, yep. ma- the the thing that's being presented as mainstream isn't mainstream. They're just they just can control the airwaves more, and they got a bigger budget. But the general public is in alignment with what we're talking about, and so we have to do our part to make sure it's louder. So I just challenge everybody every other day from now until this is what you do now. <laughs> every other day, <laughs> just take a random episode and repost the pro- the cast the the posts. The tweets, just repost them every other day, once or twice a day. Help out. Appreciate you saying that, brother. And uh, yeah, I certainly won't object to that. Check out our podcast, guys. I I know if most of you guys listen to us regularly, if you don't, I mean, we just had a great podcast with Jack. Uh, We talked to Alex Zach recently, Rachel Blevins. We talked to Peter Schiff earlier this year. Uh, Maj, um, she's a bunch of great guests. So definitely just go to our archives and you will see a bunch of great episodes And uh, with a little hope and a lot of good people stepping up to the plate, hopefully we could sway this legal case and help you beat it. But let's hope you get a decent judge and a jury that appreciates the Second Amendment. And thank you for coming on the show today, dude. Let's definitely beat this bullshit charge. And Jack, thank you for filling in and guest hosting. You provided excellent insights. And uh, thank you all for listening. We'll catch up with all you guys on the next episode. Peace. Peace.